Let's turn to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Y'all will recognize this psalm. It's one of those harsh psalms. Reign of the Lord's anointed. Who would like to read that out? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. Blessed are all those who place their trust in him or take refuge in him. So what's this psalm about? Well, there's there's one uh, theological position that would say that all of the Bible is about Jesus. So. <laughs> about the rulers of this world thinking that they're smarter than the maker of this world. Yep. And and what's the response from heaven? Wow. More than that, even uh, the way that the way the virgin that uh, read uh, mine says, you know, nothing like uh, in his. Mine says, and he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. His said something uh, like, you know, and will take pleasure, you know, to, in tormenting them or torment them in his um, in his pleasure. <coughs> so, um, is it that God is a uh, is mean and angry and vengeful? It means he's just. He's just. Well, he will not share his glory. It's not, you know, it, Scripture says that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. Right. But, uh, but uh, he won't share his glory in his ways are the right ways. And those who conspire, who presume to conspire against him, are what they are. Right. So this is, <clears throat> this is a statement of fact more than it is a, a statement of, of judgment. Although there certainly, we read judgment in here, that there is judgment that comes uh, upon those who would uh, try and take God's glory or rule in his place. Who rules in this psalm? Who is the ruler? The son. The son is, uh, we read here, uh, God said, you are my son today, I have begotten you, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance 
the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall rule them with a rod of iron, and you shall rule, you shall shatter them like earthenware. So the the caution is to those that um, are outside of the kingdom of God and would like to be inside the kingdom of God is pay attention to who's king. And that there is one who's king. And it says, do homage or kiss the son, right? Um, that he may not become angry and you perish in the way. What does that mean? Do homage. Why would we do that? Pardon? Mm-hmm. Yep, to actually serve the son. And that... Um, Certainly, you would worry about angering the king. I mean, that's kind of common sense. You know, what do they say? You don't step on Superman's cape. Uh, it, how, how does this thing, how does the saying go? You don't mess around with Jim, I know, is the end of the <laughs> Anyway. Uh, pardon? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, we understand that there is an authority set up and that um, that authority is not the authority of this world, but it's the authority that comes from heaven, that is from above. And that's actually what we're reading about in John. So as we went through, uh, so I'll start with what's the, what's the thesis of John? Where do you find it? On the screen. 2031. On the screen, 2031. Who can, who can recite it from memory? <laughs> Pardon? So I'm, I'm hearing several. <laughs> this is one you should memorize. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So this is about knowing who Jesus is, believing that he is who he said he was and who all of the testimony about him said he is and that by uh, believing in him that there's something about the, the quality of belief placing your trust in him that actually places you in his life in him is eternal life you may have life in his name and we actually see that in the, the psalm that we just read. It ends with, um, how blessed are all who take refuge in him or trust in him. So we understand that, that that's what John's trying to tell us here. He's trying to tell us who uh, Jesus is, the Son of God, and that ultimately that we would believe and have faith in him, trust in him, and uh, you recall this is kind of the overarching uh, structure that uh, I believe that we can put upon the book of John. No structure is perfect. Um, we don't have the mind of God. We don't have the mind of John as he was writing and how he was using his human abilities to um, write down what the Spirit was revealing. We do know, based on what he said, what his point is, but... Uh, this is the way I would view uh, the organization of John, in that we have, right now, we're in the 
some, some would call it the book of signs or the book of miracles, the, that which was a public uh, testimony to who Christ is, and specific things are being challenged in that public testimony, um, and that the specific things that are being challenged are the institutions of religion and uh, the, the festivals are important dates and places within religion. And so when we get to chapter 3, you can see that uh, one of the things that's being challenged is the teaching ministry within religion, the rabbi, the role of teacher. Uh, in fact, Jesus was called all of these things. He was called rabbi, he was called teacher, um, he was called, called many different things, he has many different names. And so we understand that uh, when the teacher of the Jews came to Jesus and said, I don't get it, and Jesus has helped him set him straight, that Jesus is acting as the true teacher, as the true rabbi. Right? So he's demonstrating that not that uh, religion is, um, is wrong in the sense that a lot of times we would, uh, I know when I was a rebellious youth, and I still am, um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with church because church was like the man, right? It's like you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to have anything to do with the man, whatever the man was, and you didn't want to have anything to do with things of the man like churches and governments and things like that. So when I was in my rebellious days, rebelling against all those things, I didn't want to have anything to do with religion because religion seemed like an artificial construct to me. But it isn't necessarily uh, a bad thing. So wait a minute, now you work for the government. Yes. <laughs> There's irony you here. Church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right, you the man. <laughs> yeah, that's what my kids would say too. <laughs> There, there is irony in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so it might be that I would be like uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus saying, I don't get it. Right? And he explained a, a more excellent way. Jesus did. So last week we were looking at uh, the story of Nicodemus. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, um, and that he comes as a teacher to the teacher. He recognizes Jesus as a teacher. So he's specifically addressing the rabbinical role, in that, and he was one that could challenge, right? Say, okay, um, no one does these things except for God is with him. Um, so tell us, really, who are you? And Jesus, he doesn't, you, I'm reading between the lines here, when he says that he came to him by night and he says, we know you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs unless you do, unless God is with him. <clears throat> what um, he's saying in a very nice way is, I, I think this is being said about you, is it true? Who are you? <coughs> um, so Nicodemus is trying to figure out who Jesus is. He's trying to come to know him, which is where you start. Right? You start with when God challenges you through his calling. Um, 
the first thing you do is you try and understand who the caller is, who's calling you. And if you recall last week, we went through uh, Theology 101, and I gave you the, uh, the order of salvation just as kind of a, a primer, uh, looking at what all is involved in uh, what must a man do to be saved. We understand that it starts with God. God chooses us. And that apart from his choice of us, we can never know him. Um, and that's a, a foundational truth that we could explore at a different point in time. And that uh, because he has chosen us, he is uh, part of his choice of us is that he has grace that he expresses towards us. And that that is both grace that comes before prevenient and it's effective grace in the sense that it accomplishes what God desires that grace to accomplish. And the idea that it comes before, it's necessary for God to be gracious towards us before we could ever respond or understand that grace. And that there's a calling associated with that, that uh, that is the revelation um, of God by the Spirit. So God speaks to each one of us individually. He speaks to us in a general sense through creation, through all of the different uh, elements of our life, right? But he also reveals himself personally to us. And I believe that that is necessary for salvation, that we don't just believe in a God um, or even that we believe in the God, acknowledging that, gee, this is way too great to have just occurred as a, a random chance of of nature, right? Um, and so I, I don't, you know, when I look at the world, it actually tells me something about God. Um, and part of that's my theological bias, and everybody has a theology, by the way. Um, some would not have the same theology as us as Christians, but nonetheless, everybody has a view on uh, who God is. But God goes further than that. He doesn't just reveal himself as the God, um, the creator of all things, but he also reveals himself to us personally as our God. And that's the nature of that calling. So I believe that um, God calls people individually and that that occurs in a lot of different ways. Everybody in here has a different story that they would tell. That's the, the, you know, the, the testimony that we have about how God called to us and how either we responded or didn't respond. So, and I, I guess you, I should say you always respond, but some would respond in faith, in believing. When they come to know him, they respond in belief. Others will respond in unbelief. And it isn't that they don't get to know him, because ultimately everybody comes face to face with God. The Bible tells us that. You play it all the way to the end of the story, and there is nobody that misses the opportunity to be uh, to address that calling of God in their life. It's just that some will choose um, themselves as God rather than God as God, right? So that's ultimately what happens: <clears throat> is that God says, "This is the way it is, folks. I'm I'm telling you reality." And he's, he's revealing us to us life, right? He's revealing to us truth. He's revealing to us the way. 
that we can um, have communion with him in his kingdom. And ultimately, everybody chooses. That's why there will be no surprises uh, of those who end up outside of God's kingdom in what Jesus has said is hell. That there is a place outside of God's kingdom that people that choose that get to go there. That's their place. Um, and God reveals it from the very beginning. And then we read that in the psalm. It says, why do, are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. You know, they're taking their stand against the rulers, uh, against, uh, well, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right, so that's what's, that's what's happening here. There, people are either choosing to... Um, answer the call of God in their life, the personal uh, invitation to become a citizen in God's kingdom and join him through a process which we don't fully understand. It is a mystery. And the Bible tells us this is a mystery. We don't have the mind of God and we can't fully understand it. But nonetheless, we participate in it through a process of repentance and faith. And I would say that both are gifts that's part of that grace that comes before, because it wouldn't be possible for us to respond apart from God working in our lives. But nonetheless, when God works in our lives, we respond favorably to him. And that we understand that as being born again. That we actually go from a place where we have no life, where we're outside the kingdom of God, being born into the family of God, we actually have citizenship by birth in his kingdom. And because we weren't, um, if you look at the, the historical annals of humanity, right, there were a people set apart as God's people. And we understand them today as the, the Jewish uh, nation, right, the Hebrews. And that they weren't set apart because God favored them, but because God chose them to reveal himself to the world. And we are outside of that chosen group of people. So we're called the nations, or the ethnos in, in Greek, which is translated Gentiles. So we're all Gentiles, right? So we're not natural, we have no natural right to that kingdom. But... God, in this process of being born again, we actually become children of God. And John tells us that. You go back to his his, uh, his prelude, and it says that uh, in verse 12, chapter 1, it says, But as many as received him, him being the word, uh, the uh, God made flesh, and we won't go back and recreate that argument, but it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So that was what was just revealed to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the teacher, should have known this, but because he was outside that kingdom of God and was not a child of God, even though he was a... Uh, a teacher in their religion. He was um, the man. Seriously. He was uh, a Sadducee and a Pharisee. right? So he was of the ruling party 
uh, that, that actually uh, administered the, uh, the civil kingdom of the Jews, but he was also of the religious elite, those that were really zealous. He was both a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. And so he was the man, and he comes to Jesus and says, you know, they say that you're God, I don't get it. Tell me who you are. And Jesus immediately bypasses that whole thing. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm, I'm God, I'm God in the flesh. That would have been the direct answer, right? No, he tells him where he is, that he is outside the kingdom of God, that he is uh, born of the flesh and not born of the spirit. And that's the, the dialogue that occurs. And Nicodemus, because he doesn't have the mind of God, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand this mystery. He says, uh, I don't get it. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So he's looking at the constructs of this world and how we would understand and interpret reality. And he's answering from that place and saying, doesn't work that way. And Jesus said, no, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said to him, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. <clears throat> now, I suggested last week, and I'll suggest again this week, that born of water does not mean the same as born of the flesh. And that some would take that born of water to mean that that's the, like the amniotic fluid that surrounds the, the baby when they're in the mother's womb. And that um, that water breaks at the time of birth and that you're born into the world. So some would say you have to be born of both physical reality and the spiritual reality in order to have life again. Uh, or be born again. I, I'm not going to say that that's what that water is. Rather, I would say that that water is the same water that we would understand from uh, John the Baptist's baptism. The baptism of repentance. That it was a process of coming to God and saying, I am impure, unclean, and in no way... Um, bringing anything that would allow me to be a part of your kingdom. And that in the process of repentance and turning to God, we are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into life. And so what I think Jesus is saying here is that you need to repent and that you need to have this spiritual regeneration. You need to repent, believe, and be born of the Spirit. That there is a supernatural peace, you can't put your finger on it, and you can't make it happen. It isn't according to the will of men. That's what John said here. Who are born not of the will of man, but of God. So it isn't something that you can do. So that means that your salvation depends totally upon God. If he doesn't choose you, if he doesn't show his grace towards you, if he doesn't call you, if he doesn't enable you to respond in some way of repentance, and that's the revelation of the Spirit, right? The, the, that calling reveals who God is, and you come to know him in a way, not know him through 
communion with the Spirit, but know Him through conviction of the Spirit, and that you respond to that in repentance, and you turn to Him in faith, that God does this miraculous thing that we cannot put our finger on, but nonetheless it's true. We are regenerated. We are born again. And that that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus he needs. He says, you know me. You need to be born again. You need to believe. And you need to abide in me. You need to have my life. Nicodemus says, well, uh, Jesus goes on to explain further. Um, Nicodemus will eventually say, how can these things be? When Jesus is talking about being born of the Spirit, he says, Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. He says, Do not be amazed uh, that I said to you, you must be born again. That word there, born again, could also be born from above. In other words, it's, it's not from this world. You're not born from here. That you have a heavenly birth. That's the origin of it. You're born from above. And that the agent of that birth is the Spirit of God himself, who has life in himself, which just a couple chapters down the road, Jesus is going to explain that to us. So he's explaining to us who he is. right? And he goes on to say, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So he's giving us a real-life example of how we can start to get our head around this. That um, when the wind blows, I don't know about you guys, I'm a little bit hard of hearing. Is anybody else hard of hearing? When I'm being hard of hearing, when a sound comes, I don't know the direction that it's coming from. That's the way the wind is. When the wind hits me, I'm not fully sure of the direction of that wind. You know, so we do things trying to figure out the direction of the wind, like we'll wet our finger and hold it in the air, side that gets cold or dries out first, and the wind's coming from that direction, right? We don't really know where it's coming from. Or where it's going to. But we know that it has an, an effect. In fact, that effect can be harvested. When we uh, have sailboats, right? That's the effect of harvesting the wind, which we have no control over, and using that to propel us. That's a great example. Right? That the spirit can actually move you. And you can see the result of that movement. And what's really interesting is that um, that movement, as you become trained in responding to the direction of the wind, you can actually craft your direction to where you want to go, even if the wind doesn't seem to be blowing in a way that would support that. Ever known sailors that can actually kind of, in a way, they go against the wind, they're tacking, right? And yet they're moving in the direction they need to go. That's what I would say that a mature uh, Christian looks like, one who's able to discern truth from error. That they're able to tack in the Spirit, right? That the Spirit is the, the, the source of life, the mover. We see the effect of that, 
right? And that God intends that that will have an impact on our life. We're not intended to just be born and then sit there. That the wind blows and we see the effect of it. So even though I can't tell you all of the elements that occur in rebirth and regeneration, I have an idea if it's occurred by looking at the evidence, the effect of the wind in your life. And that becomes much more skilled with maturity. So the leaders in your church, Pastor Bob, who's been called, not just called to salvation, but called to uh, an area of service in God's church. And so again, I go back to Psalm 2, so serve the Lord. Right? Um, Pastor Bob has responded to a call of service, and you see a maturity in his life. You see the effect of that. We see it every Sunday morning. And I can't, uh, being one of the elders in the church, um, I recall one of the other elders uh, saying recently, it's really uh, pleasing to the spirit. It really creates joy when we see a pastor come into his stride. When we see one who is called and equipped in a particular way in service step into that with, a, with an incredible joining in that rhythm. Right? That's what we see on Sunday mornings. We're seeing the Spirit of God move and this man called respond in that uh, joyful way of, of getting in step with that Spirit. And, that, and that's a, a phenomenal thing. We're all called to that. You don't have to be called to a pastor to have that level of maturity. And I think Jesus, the reason he's given... Nicodemus salvation one-on-one here is because he really cares about this man. He's not just trying to correct him, which we certainly get a message of correction here. It's like, pay attention. What is this teaching all about? What is this religion all about? Um, But we also see that uh, Jesus wants to see this man who's been equipped for service in God's kingdom actually come into his stride. He wants him to be saved and to serve. And that's what I think we see in Nicodemus. You don't see this in any other book of the Bible. You don't see Nicodemus named. You don't see what he's involved in. Although what we see is is that he stops coming by night and actually comes in front of the the ruling council and makes a defense of Jesus. Um, He actually is involved when Christ is crucified. And I expect that Jesus probably had a lot more to say to Nicodemus. What we're seeing here is a condensed version of Salvation 101. But I expect that Jesus gave a full uh, disclosure to Nicodemus at some point, such that Nicodemus looked at what he knew of the Scriptures and said, that is the Son of God. I know and I believe. And in him I have life. And even though it's a tragedy, his death, it is his death for all of us. It is that which brings life and look forward to resurrection. There were those who looked forward to the resurrection of Jesus. Even though it was a surprise, they were, they were looking forward. They were, that's where their hope was, right? What hope is about, looking forward. They hoped that he would be the one. That was the word from the disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
They were looking forward to the resurrection of Jesus. And he was. He was raised. But what we see here is that um, Jesus, in correcting Nicodemus, says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of things we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's saying, the problem is not having an understanding but belief. Because they've been told they should understand. He said, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now Jesus answered Nicodemus' original question. Nicodemus said, who are you? I hear these rumors. Jesus responds with salvation 101, and then he responds with the statement of who he is. The one who came from heaven, the true king. The one in whom is life. He is the Son of Man. And then he gives this example that I'm sure just totally rocked Nicodemus, right? Rolled him back on his heels because Nicodemus knew this story and probably never understood it. A story about the Jews as the, the Hebrew children as they're wandering in the desert. So God had miraculously delivered these people from bondage, from slavery. Had taken them out from this oppression and was bringing them into the land of promise. And because of their own... Um, lack of belief I mean it took less than 40 days and they completely abandoned God and built you know, statues of cows and all sorts of other things and were having a hoedown that didn't include God so if you have a hoedown it's okay just invite God right? he's the primary person that should be there um, so they had become in their disobedience um, wanderers for a period and while they were wandering um God was providing for them everything. He provided for them food. He provided for them clothing. Their clothing didn't wear out. He provided for them water in the middle of a parched land. God provided fully for these people, and yet they were a bunch of whiners. Um, and they got to the point, and they said, you know, um, we don't like the, this bread that you're giving us, so God gave them meat, and he gave them so much that they would choke on it, right? Well, finally, these whiners were getting bit by snakes, because God said, you're going to whine, I'll show you what whining is really about. And these snakes come out and they're biting people and the people are dying. And they, their natural response is, they come to Moses and they say, Moses, what did you do? The snakes are biting us. Right? And Moses, of course, corrects them and says, well, you know, God is, God is rightfully angry with your unbelief. And Moses goes to the Lord and the Lord says to him, I want you to take and make a bronze image of that snake that's biting the people, that's causing them to die. And I want you to put that on the, on the pole, top of a pole. And I want you to put it on the edge of the camp, outside the camp. And tell the people that if anyone is bitten by a snake, all they have to do is look at the image of that bronze snake on the pole. And they won't die. Didn't say that they wouldn't be bitten or that the snakes would go away, but rather a deliverance in the midst of the snakes would be given. And we understand that this is a picture of what would happen to the Christ. That 
he would actually come to take on the sin that was killing people. He would be put on a pole. And he would be put outside the camp. And that whoever looks upon him, believing the testimony, the revelation of God, would not die, even though they're bitten. Nicodemus, when he heard this and finally got it, I imagine he rocked back on his heels. It's just like, whoa. Because that's what's being said here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man, Son of Man being the title for the king, must be lifted up so that whosoever, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. That that eternal life is in the very one who died. Yes, sir. So, I'm trying to get this imagery here. So, so when the snake image was set up, I guess, um, and that's kind of akin to the Savior, it wasn't that we wouldn't go through sin or be affected. It's just that if we look upon him, we will never die. That's right. So he's not taking you out of the world. That's right. He's not taking you out of sin. He's not taking you out of the serpents that are going to be running around maybe getting you. Not at that time. Not at the moment of salvation. But ultimately, yes. Because you read through the story and the serpents are no more that they actually do come into the land of promise. So, but I, but I think your observation is very astute, that when we are called, when we hear the revelation of God talking to our heart about who he is and who we are and what the way of salvation is when it's revealed to us through his calling, and we respond to that, we are exactly where we were one second before. We're still in the midst of the muck and the mire. And yet, God heard our voice, and he pulled us out of the muck and the mire. And we have this idea that we can't be in muck and mire when we come to God, because he's holy. That's, it. That's true. We cannot remain in God's presence if we're going to remain mucky and miry, right? And that's why I would suggest that once you're regenerated and that there's this, uh, what we would understand as a, a statement of justification, you are both forgiven and given new life. And so some would reverse this order here, that you're justified before you're regenerated. And I'm not going to argue the nuance of order. I'm just suggesting that these are... Uh, steps in the process, um, that you move to the point of uh, discipleship. And so in a very real sense, a good part of John's gospel here is about discipleship. It's about what you do once you know and you believe. It's how you abide in or remain in Christ. And that we understand that as a theological term, sanctification. So if you're struggling with the idea, am I saved or not? 
That's part of the process of sanctification. That's this uh, understanding through wrestling with doubt. Doubt is not absent when faith is present. Rather, um, faith is what you, the action of faith is what you do in the presence of doubt. So you're, it's a struggle. Um, if it wasn't a struggle, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And that's not what we see. The road, the gate is very narrow. It's a, it's a hard walk in many ways. Any of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. about the struggle. That's about sanctification. It's about maturity, assurance, and perseverance. And that's, that's where we go next. Yes. The, in Pilgrim's Progress, the way that it's described, his path that he carries the whole time, and when he, when he sheds his path, that <coughs> you, said, when you can't put your finger on it when the Spirit is is in you. But but that's kind of what it's, what it's like. That just like you just like hit the quick release on your straps, and you just drop your pack. You know, and yeah. it's just like you just feel like this burden has just been. It the the burden of trying to carry the world with you. In other words, trying to be in the flesh, in the world, when really you're no longer of this world, that burden can, can be lightened. Quick release. He is not delivered. He is not in pilgrim's progress. He doesn't go from sanctification to glorification until he crosses the river to the celestial city. So, where we are in this world, we're somewhere... On this road, if you're a Christian, Christian, you're somewhere on the road of sanctification. And that you're here this morning means that you're working on one of these two, or both at the same time. There's a lot more in this than just this. But you're working on that maturity aspect. You're working on that assurance aspect, which is um, appropriating uh, the truth, right? In other words, the truth is given to us and we are challenged to have that be a part of us. So part of our unbelief is that we believed a lie. So when we talk about unbelief, it's not an absence of belief. Rather, it's misplaced belief. We believe that something else is really true other than what God said is true. So the, the process of maturity and assurance is in letting go of the things that God has said is not true, but the world says is, and holding on to the things, appropriating, putting your arms around the things that God said is true. Can you say that again? <laughs> okay. So um, the problem that we have is that we believe things that are not true. So the process of maturity and assurance is in believing the truth. So we're letting go of the things that are not true, that the world says are true, but God says, no, not like that. It doesn't work like that. Um, that's not uh, good. That's not pure. That's not holy. We let go of that, and we hold on to the truth. We put our arms around it. It actually becomes part of us. That's what belief is at the most foundational level. 
So you've seen me draw the picture before of how you change your destiny. So if you go backwards, so your destiny is where you're standing right now. If you want to change that, you go backwards. Your, your destiny is made up of your habits, the things that you regularly practice, which is made up of your choices, right? I'm missing a couple steps in here, Rob. Just jump back. So the things that you choose to do, um, which is based upon um, the way that you think. Your thinking affects what you choose. Um, the way that you think is ultimately based on the things that you um, hold to true, what you believe. So I skipped several steps in there, and that's okay. Because the point is, is that your destiny um, is what you practice, what you practice, your destiny is your character. Your character is what you practice. What you practice is what you choose. What you choose is a result of what you think. What you think is a result of what you believe. And so if you want to actually change where you're at today, you need to ultimately go back and challenge the belief system that you have. And I would suggest that we are not very well equipped to determine what is true and what is good. Because we screwed up. We have become corrupted. Our understanding of goodness and truth has been given up. Rather, we need to accept that which God declares is good and true. And that he declares that through his revelation. His revelation both in written word and his revelation through his spirit to our heart, which is a more challenging thing because sometimes people think that they're being led by the spirit when it was last night's burrito, you know. <laughs> really, what it is, is it's a reformatting um, their will as God's will, and they're going to act on that. So again, if you look at the result that you've got, um, and you don't like that result, you want to change it, you need to go back and challenge that which you believed that caused you to think that way and choose that thing, ultimately. Now, one of the things I would say is that if what you want is a pain-free life with uh, lots of money and, oh, by the way, you get to die and go to heaven and take all that money and pain-free with you, it doesn't quite work like that. Rather, what happens is, is that the temperature gets turned up when you're in sanctification because God is in the process of refining gold and, and precious, precious metal. And the way you do that is you put a lot of heat to it. And the stuff that's impure bubbles up to the top, and it's called dross. And they have this little scooper thing, and they scoop that dross off, and it becomes part of the impure metal. But that, with that which is left is pure. That's what God's doing, so that takes heat. So what I would suggest is those who are going through this process that are truly um, learning how to tack in the spirit have maturity and assurance a lot of times those are people that you see that are giving up their life. Literally. Because their joy is not in this world. Their joy is in the next. And the greatest testimony that was ever given was what we see next. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christ gave up his life for ours. So if you're becoming like Christ, I would expect that your joy would be joy in the face of suffering. That's not good news if you wanted a life of ease. Right? Um, so that's, that's part of the challenge. That's part of the perseverance. When Paul says he's being poured out like a drink offering, what he's saying is that his life is being given fully to God and that no matter what happens, he's learned to live in uh, prosperity, he's learned to live in, in uh, absence of anything, he's you know, been shipwrecked, I don't know how many times. You know, he goes through this, this list of things that he's been through in his life for God, and ultimately he's going to be beheaded. He's going to lose his life for God. He's telling you the great joy that he has in that. Because he knows that his life here is worth nothing. But his life in Christ is worth everything. And that's what Nicodemus is learning. It's life in Christ. It's abiding in the Son. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth practices the truth, comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. They're the result of abiding. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't forget the question. That's, that's okay. Okay, so, so this is saying that, uh, that Jesus is the light mm -hmm. in a way. Yep. But what I don't get is I thought Jesus was going to be a judge as well. And this says yes. specifically that he's not a judge. So His purpose for coming into this world is not to judge. But light judges dark all the time. The role of the king is to judge. But he came putting aside his divine prerogative to save not that he um, has abandoned his divine prerogative in the sense that it's still his, but he put it aside. That's what we read about in Philippians. He chose to do this, to say. However, we also know that he never becomes unking in the sense that ultimately that which is said about the Son of Man prevails that he comes to conquer and rule, conquer death, conquer sin, and to rule righteously. That is the nature of God. And the, the light, dark um, language. So what I would say is, you probably have it in quotes from verse 16 through 21. I would suggest that Jesus' actual quote 
ends at the end of 15. And what you see <clears throat> is the commentary of the narrator here. So John is giving you a commentary, which is the theology lesson that goes with this. <clears throat> and you'll see it in red letters in the NIV, which is, is being listed as a direct quote. And I don't know for absolute certainty, but I think that um, Jesus wasn't standing there being a theology teacher at this point in time. He was <clears throat> reaching out to Nicodemus, helping him understand who the Christ is. And what we see is a commentary afterwards <clears throat> that's given by John. And John spent a lot of time with Jesus, so this may be boiled down uh, a constructive quote uh, of Jesus at this point. But he uses this same imagery of light and dark. And you notice he did that in the prologue. It says, in him, verse 4, chapter 1, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So he brings in an image to help us understand um, this, who the Christ is. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So he's helping us to understand the authority and power that comes with that authority of the Christ, of the King, of the Son of Man. And what follows immediately after this, so here we have this light-dark discussion, this understanding of judge and rightful rule, because that's what's being presented. He is the son. He is the, the king. Immediately after that is John's testimony. And John's testimony is all about the authority of the Christ. And that's where I was going to go this morning, but I took too much time in the backstory. Um, this next section and the reason why it's lumped here why John put remember he had a lot of things he could have wrote but he wrote these things so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ what does that mean that Jesus is the Christ it means that he is the the rightful heir that he is the true authority the true king and, and the true judge and, and the, the true judge come to judge when he came this time he came to say right and what you find in, in chapter 5, when, when you get to chapter 5, it says that the Father has given the Son the role of judgment, that he is the judge. So it's not that John is denying that. I'm just saying that his commentary is, why did Jesus come now? And so he's giving us insight into that. You looking for the passage in 5? Uh, well, I see it. it yeah. Okay. This is the judgment. This is the judgment that the light has entered the world. So that's right. judgment. And light shows what's in the dark. So, so judgment, in, in one sense of the word, means rightful discernment. In other words, you're able to distinguish that which is true from that which is not. It doesn't mean to necessarily declare that, although that also occurs in judgment. So what happens is, is that we are judged already because of where we stand. That's a rightful discernment, right? And in that rightful discernment of the judge who declares that, he wants to save us. That's the message here. That it isn't, it isn't supposed to be this way. 
isn't supposed to end this way. No, and I, I, I've made a habit of going over, so I did it again this morning. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. And uh, um, maybe you would close us in prayer, Tim. Would that be important? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for coming and saving, or to give us a path to uh, to spend eternity with you. And, uh, or we just think of that uh, as we read these verses that uh, did come to save. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to. Uh, be good representatives of you in this world. Thank you for this morning, and we ask you to bless the rest of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.